seek to harm the righteous, take refuge in the Lord. He sees all and he judges rightly. When the race is complete, still my lips shall repeat, and not I, but through Christ in me. When the race is complete, still my lips shall repeat, and not I, but through Christ in me. Good afternoon. My name is Mako. It's good to see many old friends and some new friends as well. I was a member at WSBC back before RCC was planted. And if I haven't met you yet, I would love to get to say hi after the service. Perhaps you have heard that a little over a week ago, the Supreme Court of the United States of America overturned Roe versus Wade. In this way, the Supreme Court declared that there's no right to have an abortion in the Constitution. This will allow individual states to limit or at times nearly outlaw abortions in a way that was not possible after Roe was passed 50 years ago. I knew there would be protests over this decision. Probably anybody would know that there would be protests over this decision. But the protests hit close to home early last week. This past Monday, a mob of people showed up outside the Hinson Baptist Church office building in Portland, Oregon. Before moving to Shanghai in 2015, I was a member at that church about five years. Uh, for an internship I did at that church, I was in that office building pretty much every day. In addition to the church offices, there's a, a nonprofit community coffee shop and offices leased to various Christian ministries. The Christian ministry that rents the most space from the office building is, is First Image. It's an organization that runs pregnancy resource centers, centers that care for women, encouraging them to choose life, and also does a care for women who have had, had an abortion. The lead pastor, Michael Lawrence, tells what happened in an article for the Gospel Coalition website. The masked mob that showed up on Monday night maybe 75 to 100 people, broke windows and graffitied the outside of the church office building with slogans. Some slogans were threatening, such as the words, peaceful won't make change, or other slogans written such as, abort the court. Some windows had already been boarded up in preparation. The police already knew that uh, something was going to happen, but pretty much all the windows that weren't boarded up were broken. The mob was highly organized, sending a scout half an hour ahead of time to see where all the security cameras were. And after about a half hour of chanting and spray painting, the mob dispersed while police quietly looked on. Thankfully, no one was injured. There was no fire. A couple of weeks ago, one of the centers run by First Image was set on fire. Now, many church members live within walking distance of the church. And I wonder how they're responding to the protests that happened outside their windows. And I want to ask you as well, where do you turn when you hear of things like this that happen? 
Where do you turn when violent people seem to be able to get away unpunished? Friends, do you take refuge in God? This afternoon we'll be in the book of Psalms. If you have a Bible, you can open to Psalm chapter 11. You can also read it in your bulletin. The psalm is a psalm of David. We don't know exactly when in David's life it was written. We do know that David's life was in grave danger more than once. David fled for his life from Saul, and later in his life he he fled for his life from Absalom. And yet it seems that in this psalm, David knows that he must not flee, and he does not need to flee. David can take refuge in God, and he will take refuge in God. I think we're meant to consider not so much the physical fleeing or staying, but where David's soul rests. Please follow along with me as I read Psalm chapter 11. In the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to your mountain? For Behold, the wicked bend the bow. They have fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyelids test the children of man. The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Let him rain coals on the wicked. Fire and sulfur and a scorching wind shall be the poor. The Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. The main point that I hope you can take away from our time in Psalm 11 today is this. When the wicked seek to harm the righteous, take refuge in the Lord. He sees all and he judges rightly. This sentence can be split up into the three points of the sermon. First, when the wicked seek to harm the righteous, take refuge in the Lord. Verses 1 to 3. Second, the Lord sees all. Verses 4 to 5. And third, the Lord judges rightly, verses 6 to 7. Let's begin with point one. When the wicked seek to harm the righteous, take refuge in the Lord. Look again at verses 1 to 3. It says, In the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, Flee like a bird to your mountain. Behold, the wicked bend the bow. They have fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, What can the righteous do? So what is the situation here? It seems like David's close advisors are telling him to flee. They're telling him that he is in danger. Notice how in the end of verse 1 they say to David, flee like a bird to your mountain. This isn't any mountain. This is said to be David's mountain, David's safe place. David's advisors are, are telling him there's nothing he can do. He might as well run. The wicked are bending the bow, and they're ready to shoot in the dark. The darkness is a covering for the deeds of the wicked. How often do surprise attacks occur at night? How difficult would it be to bring justice to someone who shoots an arrow in the dark? Notice as well who the wicked are shooting at. Here, they're they're not shooting at other wicked people. They are specifically making a target of those who are upright of those who are in right standing before God. In verse 3, we see that the foundations are already destroyed. It's difficult to know exactly what is meant by foundations. 
But I think one good uh, possibility would be thinking of the foundations of a society, including the principles of, of justice of a group of people. It seems that the wicked have already destroyed the foundations. Perhaps the society seems to be already rooted in ungodly principles. I think we can see that in, in many countries in the world today. If the foundations are already destroyed, why not just give up? If the root is already bad, if the culture or the leaders of the culture are, are already leading the people down a wicked path, is there anything a righteous person can do to change things? But this way of thinking about the situation is completely rejected by David. It is indignant at this suggestion to flee. How can you say that to me? How can you say that to my soul? Don't you understand that the Lord is my refuge? Don't you understand that I don't need to flee to a mountain of my own making? Whatever the danger is, David understands that the Lord is his refuge. When David takes refuge in the Lord, then and only then is he safe from his enemies. So brothers and sisters, in what ways are we tempted to flee like a bird to our own mountain? In thinking of my friends back at Hinson Baptist Church, I wonder if there's a temptation for them to, to distance themselves from the neighborhood. Perhaps some nearby neighbors were involved in the mob. Or I wonder if there's a temptation to distance themselves from First Image and the, the ministry of pregnancy resource centers. If they're only thinking of their building not being graffitied again, these temptations to flee, to turn to man-made attempts at safety, would make sense. But would fleeing actually make them safe? Would God be pleased if instead of being a bold witness in the community, members began to withdraw from their neighbors? Would God be pleased if they told First Image to find a new office building because they were afraid of future violence? And I thank God to hear that these brothers and sisters are taking refuge in the Lord. After the mob left, uh, Pastor Michael Lawrence was looking on at the damage. One of the associate pastors at Hinson Baptist who lives on the block stepped out of his backyard and his, his backyard was filled with non-Christian neighbors who shaken up by the event. He and his wife were comforting them and using the opportunity to explain our hope in Christ. What a wonderful opportunity to take refuge in the Lord and to share with others that believers do not need to fear. It is true we are helpless without the Lord, but He is our refuge. So what does taking refuge in the Lord look like in your own life? What do you need to trust God with? Perhaps with the way society is, with the way your own social circles are, there are, are reasonable sounding voices telling you to trust in yourself, to flee to your own mountain. Perhaps there's a situation at your workplace in which you're being asked to do something wrong or deceitful. Any non-Christian coworker or friend of yours would advise you to do it. Your boss is asking you to do it, and, and it looks like it might be the only way towards career advancement. Or perhaps not agreeing with it would even mean risking your job. And with the current situation here, a new job might not be easy to find. But what would it look like for you to do what is right and, and trust God with the consequences? Take refuge in the Lord, not in 
your own plan for security. And brothers and sisters, consider who you can ask for godly counsel. Unlike David's advisors, do you have people in your life, hopefully other members at WSBC, who you know that when you ask them for advice, they'll encourage you to take refuge in the Lord. We all need these kinds of friends in our lives, friends who have a big view of God and encourage you to keep trusting in him. These are the kinds of friends that, that Josh mentioned when he was sharing as well. Some of you who are, are in this room. This psalm was meant to be sung by the people of Israel. We can all sing together that we will take refuge in the Lord. When the wicked seek to harm the righteous, we will take refuge in the Lord. That brings us to point two. The Lord sees all. Please look again with me at verses four and five. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see, his eyelids test the children of man. The Lord tests the righteous, but his whole hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Two observations in this point. First, the Lord rules where he can see all. David uses two parallel statements. First, stating that the Lord is in his holy temple, and then stating that the Lord's throne is in heaven. Holy temple in verse 4 is probably referring to the Lord's heavenly dwelling, as the, the temple that Solomon would build for the Lord is, is still in the future. This understanding would also fit with how these two phrases are, are paired together. Here we're reminded that God is holy and above us. We're also reminded that God is the ruler of all creation. He sits on his kingly throne. David may, at the time of, of writing this psalm, been sitting on an earthly throne, but he knows that the Lord is the true king, sitting on the heavenly throne. This is the Lord's vantage point from which he sees everything. Brothers and sisters, we must be reminded that the Lord sees. From March of this year until today, we have lived in a city in which any illusion of control has been taken away from us. Before we took it for granted that we could buy food where we wanted, when we wanted, before we took it for granted that we could freely go in and out of our apartment complex, before we took it for granted that if we got sick, we would end up in a hospital or could decide to just rest at home. But it's in these crazy times that we need to remember that no matter what happens, the Lord sees. It's in these crazy times that we need to remember that the Lord sits on his throne. The Lord knows and understands whatever difficulties you've gone through these past few months. The Lord sees. Whether the past few months have been exhausting or whether you've nearly gone stir-crazy, the Lord sees. Even when it seems that the foundations are destroyed, that the foundations are not as they should be, that the whole world has gone mad, we must remember that the Lord sits on his throne in heaven. The Lord will bring his good plans to completion 
The Lord sees your needs, and he will provide for the needs of his people. So when faced with difficulties, when faced with injustice, remember that the Lord sees. The second observation I would like to make here is that the Lord's seeing tests mankind. The end of verse 4 says, His eyes see, his eyelids test the children of man. This picture of God's eyelids testing the children of man is an interesting one. We know God is spirit, but we have this poetic picture of, of God carefully examine you, examining you with his eyes, squinting his eyelids. The Lord puts mankind to the test. In his testing and examining of, of mankind, the Lord has a different attitude towards the two groups of people in the world. The Lord continues to test the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked. The word used here for test is the same word used in the book of Jeremiah in regards to a goldsmith or silversmith purifying precious metals. Jeremiah, well, God's people need to be tested. We see that God's people need to be tested in the New Testament as well. In 1 Peter 1, verses 6 to 7, we read, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The scripture reading that Sherry read earlier in the service also speaks of God's testing. As Christians, the Lord will continue to test you. He will continue to purify you. This testing may be difficult and painful at times. This testing may even involve religious persecution. Peter wrote, you have been grieved by various trials. But this testing is for our good and for God's glory. God is using difficulties in our lives to make us more like Jesus and to prepare us for Christ's return. In contrast to God's testing of the righteous for our good, we see in verse 5 that God's soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. This idea of God hating the wicked may seem strange to those of us who have quoted the saying, love the sinner, hate the sin. But it seems like this saying is a bit too simplistic and perhaps misleading when it comes to God. When we think of the attributes of who God is, right at the top of the list, and rightly so, is that God is love. God has been characterized by love for eternity past in the Trinity. That may be why God's hatred seems so strange to us. We instinctively think of hatred as the opposite of love. And yet in our psalm this afternoon, we read that God hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. In his systematic theology, Professor John Frame helpfully writes on God's hatred of evil. He writes, Even when hatred includes hostility, that hostility should be understood essentially as a policy of opposition. Just as love in scripture is both act and feeling, the same can be said of hate. To hate someone means to oppose his goals and to take action if possible to prevent him from succeeding. This hatred may include emotional revulsion, of course. Indeed, we should be emotionally, emotionally disgusted with wickedness. 
but one may hate the wicked in the sense of opposing intellectually, volitionally, and emotionally his policies and plans without emotional disgust for the person himself. Hatred may also include the desiring the worst for someone else, but it, it does not necessarily mean that. If love is a disposition to seek the good of someone else and hate is opposition to the values and plans of someone, then it is certainly possible both to love and to hate the same person. For example, it is possible to hate some vicious despot, Adolf Hitler, etc., in the sense of opposing his plans and calling God to judge him, indeed even being emotionally disgusted by his character and actions, while at the same time desiring his conversion. John Frame continues to write that God's present enmity is not always his final word. For all of us who are Christians, it would seem that there was a time when God loved and hated us at the same time. God opposed us. He prevented us. He prevented us from achieving our wicked purposes, and yet God loved us in Christ. God saved us. In understanding God's hatred of the wicked, there are two final points that we should be clear on before we move on. First is Jesus' clear teaching to, to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. In our love for our enemies, we must truly desire what is best for them. We truly desire that they turn from their wickedness and turn to Christ. We desire that they also receive forgiveness. Second, we must remember that we also were wicked. We also were enemies of God. We must be humble in our attitude towards the wicked, remembering that if it were not for God's grace, we would be continuing in that same way of life. And so, what would be a Christian way to react to the violence of the wicked? When I think of the one who loves violence, I think of the, the video that went viral about a month ago at the late night Shaokao restaurant in Tangshan, Hebei. When one, one, when one woman resisted the advances of a strange stranger, this man and a group of men drug her outside the restaurant and beat her violently and the other woman who tried to help her. God hates this sin. God hates this violence. And there's a real sense in which God hates the men who committed this violence. When we as Christians hear of such sin as this, we also should hate and be disgusted at this sin. We can pray that the government would pass a sentence that fits the weight of the crime. We can pray that sins of violence would be justly prosecuted in this country. I think we can even justly pray for long prison sentences. And yet we can also pray and should also pray that sinners would repent and turn to God from their violent ways. We do not want to share in the attitude of Jonah who wished that the Ninevites would be punished whether or not they turned away from their sins. God may choose to show his mercy to violent men, and if he does, they will not continue in their violence. The Lord sits on his throne. He sees what the wicked are doing, and he sees what the righteous are doing. Nothing can escape his gaze. That brings us to the end of the, our second point, the Lord sees all. Now we come to our third point, the Lord judges justly. Let's look again at verses 6 and 7. Let him rain coals on the wicked. Fire and sulfur and a scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. 
Here we see the two ways that God judges. We see God's punishment of the wicked, and we see God showing his face to the righteous. In verse 6, David is praying that God would judge the wicked. This is similar to how Psalm 10 calls upon God to rise and judge the wicked. In Psalm 10, David prayed knowing that God sees the harm the wicked are doing to the righteous, and there is an expectation that God will judge. We must remember that David is not personally seeking revenge. As king of Israel, David represents God's people. The enemies of David are enemies of God. In his own life, David had opportunities to take revenge into his own hands against Saul, but he continued to leave judgment up to God. Oftentimes, justice for the wicked will not happen in their lifetimes, but ultimately God will judge. There's enough corruption in so many countries around the world that a, a few large bribes means there's a good chance that someone will get away with a crime. But even if they get away with a crime in this life, it does not mean that there will be no justice in the end. Because God is just, he will judge rightly. There will be eternal punishment for the wicked at their death. The book of Revelation speaks of the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. That is the punishment that awaits those whose names are not written in the book of life. The Lord is righteous. The Lord is just. The Lord is righteous. The Lord is just. And wickedness cannot go unpunished. The second way that we see the Lord judge is how he rewards the righteous. The upright shall behold God's face. For the righteous person who does righteous deeds that God loves, that person will see God. What a privilege that would be. Even Moses, who led God's people out of Egypt and was called the humblest man on earth, was not allowed to see God's face. In Exodus 33, verse 20, God told Moses, You cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And so God put Moses in a cleft of the rock, and after God's glory passed by, Moses would get a glimpse of God's back. So if God said that man cannot see God and live, how is it that David can say the upright shall behold God's face? It's because the second person of the Trinity, the eternal God, the Word, became flesh. It's because of Jesus. It took time for Jesus' disciples to understand who Jesus was. In John chapter 14, one of Jesus' disciples, Philip, said to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Just a couple of verses before, Jesus had said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If we were relying on our own righteousness, none of us would be able to come into the presence of the Father. If it were not for Jesus, we would read Psalm 11 and see that all of us are the wicked. None of us would have the hope of seeing God's face. 
But Jesus left his throne in heaven to pitch his tent among us. And Jesus lived a perfectly righteous life. While we were still wicked and opposed to God, Jesus took our place. Jesus bore our sins and the full force of God's hatred and wrath against sin was put on Jesus as he hung on the cross. Jesus took the punishment we deserve and death could not hold him. He rose from the grave and now he sits on his royal throne in heaven. If you're here today and not a Christian, this message of Jesus' death and resurrection for your sins is for you. Jesus has made a way for you to escape the fire and sulfur and scorching wind and see God's face. For God to be delighted in you because of Jesus. So turn from your sins and turn to Jesus. If you're here and you are a Christian, this message is also for us. Praise God that through Jesus Christ, he has made a way for us to come before the presence of our Heavenly Father. Do we long to see the face of God? Do we think on what a glorious thing it will be to behold God's face? Brothers and sisters at WSBC, this is our hope when the wicked bend their bow. This is our hope when it feels as though the foundations are crumbling around us. Think of the first good friend or family member you were expectantly waiting to see face to face after lockdown. How much more can we be expectantly waiting to see God's face? One day, we will behold the face of God. And God's face will look kindly on us because we have been given the righteousness of Christ. And it's in Christ that we are able to continue to do the righteous deeds that God loves. So may the sure hope of seeing God's face spur us on to righteous deeds. May the sure hope of seeing God's face grow in us a desire to honor him with our whole lives and grow in us a desire to know him. Thank God the Father for his son Jesus that we can be counted righteous. Thank God the Father for his son Jesus that we have the hope of seeing God face to face. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we praise you for you are God. You are holy. You sit on your throne. You reign. And you see all that is happening in the world and you are in control. Heavenly Father, we, we pray that we would take refuge in you, that we would trust you even when it's hard. Heavenly Father, we pray that, that you would spur on the members of WSC to righteous deeds that please you. And Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that because of Jesus, because of his death and resurrection, we have the hope of seeing your face. Lord, would you grow in us, would you grow us in our knowledge of you, so that we would desire more and more uh, to see you one day. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.